Thank you, John. Love you. Great job. Hey, hey. Are you following me? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Glad to see you. Love you, honey. You know that, right? <laughs> oh, man, what a good day. You know, beautiful sunshine. More than that, just good to be with good people, isn't it? I mean, we're just so blessed to just have good folks. I mean, just good folks who uh, make a difference in each other's worlds, and I'm grateful for that. Hey, I want to remind you of our Christmas Eve services. For Christmas Eve, it'll be 4.30 and 6 o'clock. The banner will be going up pretty soon. But listen, what a phenomenal opportunity that you and I have to invite other people to come to the church in kind of a non-threatening way. And, and more people are open to this than you will ever dream. But it's such a powerful moment, such a powerful evening, that I just want to encourage us to already think about that. I know, I know three families that I will be inviting. And I'm just asking us to be intentional about doing this. Because it's not by chance, it is by intent that you and I build relationships and be able to invite folks. And this is one of those times. You know what? I, I'm so grateful to uh, Carl and Jason and other folks who teach here when I'm gone. And I, I'll tell you what. Let's just celebrate, honestly, the wonderful teaching last week that Jace brought us. It was good stuff. Good stuff. I, I'm, I'm just so thankful that I can't wait. This is the truth. I can't wait to hear their teaching after they teach. I mean, sometimes, you know, you think, you really listen? I go, yeah, look, I do. I'll go on the podcast just like you do. But I, there was a part of Jason's teaching. I called him this week. I said, man, give me, the, give me the last part of your teaching because I think you said something in those moments that were just so profound to me. And these were his words. God promised something sacred to David. A son of his house would bring about justice, abundance, peace, and stability in the world. Now, I want to say those things again, but I'm going to change the phrase a little bit. His house would bring about justice and abundance and peace and stability to our lives. It wasn't the son of the boy. He said, but ironically, it wasn't the son born of the palace who was destined to deliver on this promise. I love this phrase. It was the son of the stable. And this is the beginning of the story of the cradle that rocked the world. You know, the moment I heard him say, the son of the stable, my night was already drawn immediately to Luke 2. My day was. As I began to think of the actual evening that Jesus was born, it was when the incarnation of God became reality. Let me put it another way. This is the moment. This is the moment, friends, that God was made flesh. I mean, think about it. The creator of all <laughs> becomes a part of his creation. The heavenly takes on the form of the earthly. The spiritual takes on the physical presence of humankind. The Christmas story becomes the reality of Emmanuel. What is it? God with us. It is the story of God come down to earth. Ooh, thank you. And this, friends, this is how the cradle that rocked the world came to be. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As we think about Jesus coming to earth, it's, 
It's impossible for us to not bring Mary, the mother of Jesus, into the equation, is it not? I mean, honestly, there's, there's no one who experienced the incarnation quite like Mary did, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was Mary who carried God in her womb. Think about that. It was Mary who gave birth to the divine in a stable that night. It was Mary who first laid him in a manger. It was Mary who nursed the Savior of the world at her bosom. It was Mary who heard Jesus speak his first words. And it was Mary who taught an all-knowing God how to first write his name. I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody's world was rocked by the cradle like Mary's. I once read a book, it had a chapter entitled 25 Questions for Mary. Here's just a few of them. What was it like watching Jesus pray? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? When he saw a lamb being led to slaughter, did he ever act differently? Did you ever see a distant look on his face as if he were listening to someone that you couldn't hear? Did he have any friends named Judas? Did you ever accidentally call him father? And I love this one. Did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? <laughs> you love that. <laughs> See, these questions remind us once again that, that nobody's life was affected by the incarnation as much as Mary's was. And so this time of year, we are reminded again, really, of God's great journey to earth. And this is the focus as we go through Advent. It is the focus of not hope as we did last week, but faith. And who was asked to have more faith than Mary? Who was given more of a responsibility than Mary? I want to share today from Luke, the first chapter. It is the story of the angel Gabriel being sent by God to speak to her. And it's a profound, profound passage, and it speaks to us in so many ways. Let's just begin with the first two verses. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now I'm going to come back to this because there is a special reason that Gabriel notes this. And we'll come back. This is his introduction to Mary. It's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Luke writes in a different way than anybody else. He writes as such a historian. Everything, everything is about details to Luke. And notice what he says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. But not just to Nazareth. He sent Gabriel to a town in Galilee. And he sent him to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, Luke's covering the bases here, saying he is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. And some of you say, hey, you know what, though, Roland? Here's the deal, man. Joseph really wasn't his dad. But what you've got to understand is that in Jesus' time, the adopted son inherited all the rights of a, of a natural-born son. Go to, go to Romans 8.23, and it says, And God will give us our full rights, what does he say, as his adopted children. And then he just simply says this, And the virgin's name was Mary. I mean, amazing, isn't it? The impact that Mary's going to have on the future of the world. 
And sometimes, I, I, I really mean this, sometimes I think we understate the importance of Mary, and sometimes I'm not so sure that's not for women as a whole. In fact, I read a plaque yesterday, I love this plaque, and it said, what if the three wise men were actually three wise women? This is what would have happened. They would have stopped and asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They would help deliver the baby. They would have brought practical gifts. They would have cleaned the stable. They would have made a casserole. And I promise you, there would have been peace on earth. Don't you love that? Oh, ladies, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, think of all the intricate details that Luke puts into these first two verses. And, and I want to tell you why he does. Because he wants us to understand that there was great intent on God's part. There was great intent on God's part to get the right angel to the right place, to speak to the right person, and deliver the right message. Please understand, friends, this was not something that was done casually or off the cuff. It was something that God was, had great intent on. You know, my question this morning is, have you, ever had, have you ever had great intent on something but blew it immeasurably badly? No, I mean, let's be honest. Have you, have you ever had great intent to do something and then it just went miserably poorly? My mom turned 70 years old, so we have a, a party for her. We, in fact, she was up here. She was in Pendleton visiting with us. And we thought, you know, why not have one of those, what, what grams are they called when they come and sing? What is it? Singing telegrams. We thought this would be a perfect time. So Ellen and Jody, my uh, sister-in-law, they set out on the internet to find uh, a, um, a person to do this. And I'm telling you, Ellen and Jody can stretch a dollar farther than you've ever seen. They found this great deal. Late notice found this great deal. They said this is a great deal. And this, we said, we got this person that will be showing up at this time. Well, what, when he walked in the door, what we didn't know was that he was really a male stripper. I'm not kidding you. After about 15 minutes, this became very evident when his vest first came off and then his shirt. Now, my mom, who is hilarious, she's not, she's not upset about this at all. Mom, mom's just sitting there dying laughing and finally after a few minutes she just raised her hand and put it on his arm and in this very southern draw she said honey you just got to quit taking stuff off <laughs> I walked up put my arm around him, I said son I'm so sorry there's been a grave mistake here and we appreciate your time and all your gyrations but you're going out the door <laughs> you ever wanted to do something with great intent and blew it badly but I'm telling you what we got a deal on that guy <laughs> Oh, my Lord, pay some extra money. Get somebody that can sing. I want you to know, that wasn't the case here. There's such specific intent on God's part to get this conversation right because it was going to have impact on her life, Joseph's life, and the lives of you and me. I mean, honestly, when you first read this text, you really come to some understanding that this text kind of places Mary, and to be honest with you, it, it places us, and for some of us, it places us in a very difficult position. I want, I want to tell you why. It's problematic for Mary because she was betrothed to Joseph. Now, you've got to understand, you've got to understand the severity and the seriousness of somebody who was betrothed. Listen, 
it was such a strong legal matter. It took over a year for the betrothal to go through. But what, what you have to understand is it was as strong as a marriage. In fact, if Joseph had passed away during this season, Mary would have been considered a widow. You see, Mary has this great understanding that whatever God is bringing to her through this message, it will not only affect her, she understands this is going to affect Joseph too. But I'm going to tell you, it also is an issue for some of us. And, and can I tell you, our faith. Because notice Mary's not referenced as a woman by Luke at first. He intentionally, Gabriel intentionally refers to her as a virgin. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee. Notice what he says, to a virgin to be pledged, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And then he says this, and the virgin's name was what? We finally find out. It's Mary. You see, Luke wants to make perfectly clear to us that Gabriel's message and whatever actions will follow as a result of that message will be actions taken place in a woman who has not previously had sexual relations. That the sacredness of this would be held. And you know what? If we're honest, if we're honest, I mean, for some of us, the virgin birth of Jesus is a, is a difficult chasm to cross. I'm, I'm going to talk more about that later. Can I do that? I tell you what fascinates me is, even as a young woman, Mary was very spiritually intuitive and sensitive. Wise, depth beyond her years. Listen to verses 28 and 29. And the angel of the Lord went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored. I mean, you're thinking, don't you think her heart would leap a little bit with that? I mean, you're highly favored by God. And it says, and the Lord is with you. And notice her immediate response. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And, he, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Translated, it means she's really concerned. What in the heck does this mean for me? You see, immediately she understood something very spiritually significant is taking place. In essence, she recognized the knock of the divine upon her heart. Listen, the scriptures littered with it, occasions of this. First Samuel 3, we find Samuel, a young man in the middle of the night, and God comes and speaks to his young heart. Now, fortunately for him, he has an older gentleman, the priest Eli, who helps him walk through this, who, who comes with him, walks alongside him, tells him how to respond to that, how he can literally receive this message from God. I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever underestimate. Don't ever underestimate the importance of you and me having spiritual conversations with children and young teens because it's critical that you and I help them understand how we process through some of these things. And we find Isaiah 6 and the prophet, the great prophet who literally, I mean, when you read the the book of Isaiah, you see the depth of this man. You see, you see the wisdom. You see the passion that he has for God. And his initial response when God comes to him in this vision is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I'm thinking, Isaiah, if you've got unclean lips, God forgive the rest of us. 
And you know what he recognized? Isaiah recognized that the divine was beginning to speak to the undivine. <laughs> that would be me. That would be us. In Luke 5, we find Peter, and I love some phrases here. In Luke 5, it tells us as Jesus first meets Peter, this is before he's introduced, it just says this, and Jesus stepped into the boat of Peter. Aren't you thankful today that years and years and years and years and years ago, God came to earth and Jesus decided to step into our boats? Set sail with him. Listen to his instructions to cast your nets into deep water. We sang that about faith being in deeper water. And I'll tell you what, friends, if anybody had to cast their nets in deep water, was it Mary or not? And this is all Peter could do. Peter falls to his knees and he cries out, Lord, just leave me. I am too much a sinner to be around you. He proves his frailty a little later on when he denies Christ. He walks away from Christ. And here's the craziest thing in the world. All Jesus does through his grace and his mercy is restore him, redeem him, and enable him to become a pillar of the New Testament church. Hallelujah. Because I want to tell you something. That's our story. That is our story. Because we all are sinners saved by grace. And I promise you this, God is still engaging us like that today. I mean, God is doing some incredible, wonderful things in our midst. And we don't get to share all those stories, but God is using us and engaging us. Just normal folks. God's waking some of us up in the middle of the night and we come to know Christ. I was sitting after a discipleship a couple of three Wednesdays ago. And Jared comes up to me. Jared and Taylor are wonderful folks that, that go to our church. They're part of our discipleship group. And so after it's over, and Jared's a really quiet guy. I mean, kind of unassuming, kind of doesn't rah-rah, doesn't jump up and speak. And so I'm, I'm talking to him after it's over. I said, hey, Jared, man, tell me, how could I pray for you? Is there anything on your heart? He said, you know, I, I probably should have said something earlier. And I'm thinking, what? What? What, what do you mean you should have said something earlier? And then Taylor, who's, who's standing beside him, said, well, maybe you ought to tell me first. <laughs> and we laugh. He said, you know what? What started happening at my workplace in the morning? He works construction. And he said, what started happening in my workplace is on Thursday mornings, <clears throat> I just had begun kind of sharing with the guys what we study in discipleship on Wednesday night. And he said, it's kind of grown a little bit. He said, now they've asked me if I'll start bringing a scripture every Thursday morning. And now, Roland, last week they asked me if I'd start sharing a scripture and then praying with them. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you know what, five or six guys in this office. Well, how many, Jerry? He said, between 60 and 70. You think you should have told us? I mean, uh, <laughs> amazing. God still comes to us, friends. Do you know that? No, listen to me. God still comes to just, I mean, common, ordinary folks like us. Because I promise you, God has a desire to use us more than we ever have a desire to be used. Oh, my friends, some powerful things are happening. I don't want us to lose sight of that. And Mary was spiritually sensitive enough, even at her young age. She's probably 14 or 15. 
She's spiritually intuitive enough to know when the divine was calling. But I'm going to tell you what else she understood. She not only understood that the divine was speaking, she understood the weightiness of this matter. Listen to what it says. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And notice her response. And she was greatly troubled and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You see, she understood a critical principle that all of us need to learn. I promise you this. Those who are highly favored by God, those of us who are called by the Lord, those of us who are equipped by the Lord, when we have that favor, we also carry a great responsibility for the Lord. There's a truth. There is weightiness to favoredness. Did you know that? And that's important for all of us to learn because so many of us give leadership in this church in different ways. And just like Nate said earlier, listen, there's no difference. I promise you this. You help, you help outside greet people. You help in the children. You help in the students. We're all servants here, correct? But here's the deal. We've been given a responsibility as we come into this, and there's a weightiness to that. There's a weightiness to favoredness. Because honestly, what we have to understand is that when you and I are given that kind of favor, that kind of calling, we enter into something that's bigger than us. There's a weightiness attached to the privilege. There's a responsibility attached to the position. How did Jesus say it in Luke 12? For everyone who has been given much... Much will be, he says, demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, if God entrusts us with leadership in some capacity, much more, he said, much more will be asked. You see, Mary understood that this greeting of honor that was offered to her by Gabriel, please hear me, she understood also that there was a great task attached to it and there would be a great responsibility. And listen, Gabriel didn't disappoint. Listen to what he says. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And notice what he says. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. She understands that name. She understands it. It's a messianic term. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom, Mary, his kingdom, your, your child, Mary, his kingdom will never end. Listen to, listen to the phrases, how he defines the task. He will be great, he will be called the son of the Most High, and he will be given the throne of his father. All of those terms are associated with the Messiah coming, and Mary understood it immediately. She understood that this overwhelming task, this favor of the Lord was bringing this ridiculous responsibility, this weightiness, this heaviness that she was going to give birth to the Christ child. Talk about weightiness. Talk about responsibility. Don't you get a little clue now of why she was troubled? And then Mary had the courage and the humility to ask the question that had to be asked, right? Listen to verse 34. Mary asked the angel, How will this be <laughs> since I am a virgin? I mean, honestly, Mary's simply saying, Gabriel, do you understand the impossibility <laughs> given my situation? 
Do you understand the impossibility of what you're calling me to do? Do you understand that in and of myself, I am totally inadequate? I do not have the capacity. I am unable to do what you need me to do. Now, I'm going to tell you something as I pondered this whole passage this week. This is, this is one of the things. I'm going to throw it out to you. How many of us has Mary's question become our life verse? How will it be, God? How can you use me with all my frailties, with my insecurities, with, with my brokenness, with my doubts? God, how, how can you use me? This is, our, this is our default to God. Even to say, God, how can you use me? How can you love me? How can you redeem me? How can you care about me? And I love the way Gabriel speaks directly to Mary's inadequacies. And to be honest with you, he speaks directly to our questions of faith. Verses 35 through 37, I, I call these God's remedy for inadequacy. They're kind of important to me. There's some days, I mean this, there's some days I feel so inadequate. And the angel answered, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will, notice his phrase, overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice he didn't say the Son of Joseph. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now he's going back and repeating. He's going back to repeat what Luke has already told us. And then he ends with this simple phrase, but it's, the, it's, it's a phrase of faith. For nothing, Mary, nothing, Mary, please hear me, nothing is impossible with God. Listen to his remedy. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He's literally saying, Mary, I want you to know God is going to come to you in a supernatural way through the Holy Spirit. And friends, did you know that that's his promise to us when we receive Jesus? Acts 1.8, but when you receive what? When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of Christ will come upon you. It's the word dunamis that we get dynamite from. And you will be my witnesses. He says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. It won't be done by your human endeavor. It will only be accomplished by the power of the Spirit. And then he says this, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That phrase literally means that the all-abundant power of God will overshadow anything you are lacking. And through His power and His presence, He will be able to do remarkable and miraculous things. In fact, this is what he says, and the Holy One to be born. Do you know what that word means? It means He's perfect. It means He is not stained or blemished by our sin nor our humanity. It means that He was enabled to become the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute for mine and your sins. And we ask ourselves this question, does the virgin birth really matter that much? If you believe in your salvation, yes it does. The Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. And then he just ends 
And he says this, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. You've got to look past your own capacities. You've got to look beyond your own limitations. And and here's what I love about him. Notice, Notice what he says. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive. You know what the other phrase for that is? She who was said that her womb was dead. Is already in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Now I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because what he has just told Mary in those two sections of this passage tells us two things about God. God has the capacity to create new life anytime he wants. You see, you and I have to understand that our, our tie into the virgin birth is really, is really dependent on our worldview of God. I mean, do, do we think God is active in this world or do we think he's a bystander? Do we think that he has the capacity to create or do we think he's a spectator? And what Gabriel is sharing here, he says, I want you to know something, two things that God can do. First, God can create life where there is no life. It happened in Genesis 1 with the beginning of the cosmos and the world as we know it. The text tells us he spoke and the word came into existence, correct? But then he also ties it in. He says, Mary, I want to tell you something else God can do. You know Elizabeth, who's wanted to have kids all her life and hasn't been able to, and people have said she's barren, she's she's unable to do this. I'm going to tell you. I tell you what else God can do. God can bring life back where there was no life or where life ended. Let me, let me explain this to you. Some years later, this will happen three days after the crucifixion when God raises his son Jesus who has died, raises him back to life so that he can conquer hell and death itself. That's the kind of God, friends, that you and I serve. And I, as I thought about this, let me, let me ask you two questions and now I'm going to close. Is there any place in your life right now that you need a new beginning? That you need God to do something besides the norm? That you need God to create something in you that hasn't been there before? Second question. Is there a place in mind in your lives where we need God to bring life back to? To what we in our humanists consider dead? It's just a barren field. Lord, there's, there's no chance of this, Lord. I thought about this text this week and I thought about a gentleman I've been working uh, with long distance over for, for almost three years. It's been a difficult journey in his marriage. And when I say difficult, you, it doesn't describe it. And we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying that love would be recreated. That a new beginning could start where there's been barrenness. We're sitting at home on a Saturday night. 
and we get a call. And he said, I'm so sorry to interrupt your Saturday night, but I, I had to share something with you. He said, uh, my wife came to me and said, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I feel God drawing me back to you. Any place in your life that you need a new beginning. Any place in your life that you need God to bring back something that you thought maybe was dead. And Mary just simply answers Gabriel. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I mean, there's just two critical traits that she brings. One is her availability. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. Listen, I'm, I'm his. I, I'm his. I'm in. I'm in because I'm his. And the second was her absolute trust and willingness. May it be to me as you have said. Honestly, she's saying, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you for what you've said. You see, friends, you and I have to understand that faithfulness and willingness, please hear me, in faithfulness and willingness, there is great spiritual strength. Because in faithfulness and willingness, you and I begin to posture ourselves differently as a servant of Christ. It gives us an opportunity, if you will, and God the opportunity to begin to pour in us. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a, 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 a visual of this, and I want to share with you why. As servants of Christ, we don't stand up to God, we kneel before God. And we extend our hands to say, God, this is what I know. I know for me to fulfill what you need me to fulfill, I have to have you. And this is the wonderful thing about this position, is for you and us to stay focused on God, we have to continuously look up to Him. And when you and I are doing this, I promise you, God has a greater opportunity to begin to pour into us and to pour upon us and to pour around us the power of His Spirit and the blessings of His presence. God still comes to us. Despite our limitations, And our brokenness. God still brings his life to us. God still moves beyond our limitations. God still comes to us in a way that calls us into deep water. Maybe exceeding our swimming abilities. And yet he's always there. I love the fact that he not only climbed into Peter's boat. He asked Peter to climb out of his boat and to walk on water. And he did it for a while. And then he started to sink. But here's the wonderful news. Jesus never hesitated. He just reached down into the water and pulled him out. Any of us today 
Any of us today need Jesus in our boat? Any of us today need Christ to reach out to us and pull us up out of our darkness? Any of us today just simply need to say these words, I am the Lord's servant. And may it be to me as you have said. I want you to know, God, I trust you. I may not understand it all, but I trust you. And here I am. Take me, use me. Take me, use me, as you will, where you will, however you will. For I am yours. Amen and amen.